Chapter Thirty Five of Dread, A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Dread, Chapter Thirty Five the voice in the wilderness clayton was quietly sitting in his law office looking over and arranging some papers necessary to closing his business a colored boy brought in letters from the mail he looked them over rapidly and selecting one read it with great agitation and impatience immediately he started with the open letter crushed in his hand seized his hat and rushed to the nearest livery stable give me the fastest horse you have one that can travel night and day he said i must ride for life or death and half an hour more saw clayton in full speed on the road by the slow uncertain and ill-managed mail route it would have taken three days to reach canama clayton hoped by straining every nerve to reach there in twenty-four hours he pushed forward keeping the animal at the top of his speed and at the first stage stand changed him for a fresh one and thus proceeding along he found himself at three o'clock of the next morning in the woods about fifteen miles from canama the strong tension of the nervous system which had upheld him insensible to fatigue until this point was beginning slightly to subside all night he had ridden through the loneliness of pine forests with no eye looking down on him save the twinkling mysterious stars at the last place where he had sought to obtain horses everything had been horror and confusion three were lying dead in the house and another was dying all along the route at every stopping place the air had seemed to be filled with flying rumors and exaggerated reports of fear and death as soon as he began to perceive that he was approaching the plantation he became sensible of that shuddering dread which all of us may remember to have had in slight degrees in returning home after a long absence under a vague expectation of misfortune to which the mind can set no definite limits when it was yet scarcely light enough to see he passed by the cottage of old tiff a strange impulse prompted him to stop and make some inquiries there before he pushed on to the plantation but as he rode up he saw the gate standing ajar the door of the house left open and after repeated callings received no answer he alighted and leading his horse behind him looked into the door the gloaming starlight was just sufficient to show him that all was desolate somehow this seemed to him like an evil omen as he was mounting his horse preparing to ride away a grand and powerful voice rose from the obscurity of the woods before him singing in a majestic minor key tune these words throned on a cloud our god shall come bright flames prepare his way thunder and darkness fire and storm lead on the dreadful day 
wearied with his night ride his nervous system strained to the last point of tension by the fearful images which filled his mind it is not surprising that these sounds should have thrilled through the hearer with even a superstitious power and clayton felt a singular excitement as under the dim arcade of the pine trees he saw a dark figure approaching he seemed to be marching with a regular tread keeping time to the mournful music which he sang who are you called clayton making an effort to recall his manhood i replied the figure i am the voice of one crying in the wilderness i am a sign unto this people of the judgment of the lord our readers must remember the strange dimness of the hour the wildness of the place and circumstances and the singular quality of the tone in which the figure spoke clayton hesitated a moment and the speaker went on i saw the lord coming with ten thousand of his saints before him went the pestilence and burning coals went forth at his feet thy bow is made quite naked o god according to the oaths of the tribes i saw the tents of cushion in affliction and the curtains of the land of midian did tremble pondering in his mind what this wild style of address might mean clayton rode slowly onward and the man for such he appeared to be came out of the shadows of the wood and stood directly in his path raising his hand with a commanding gesture i know whom you seek he said but it shall not be given you for the star which is called wormwood hath fallen and the time of the dead is come that they shall be judged behold there sitteth on the white cloud one like the son of man having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle then waving his hand above his head with a gesture of wild excitement he shouted thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe behold the wine press shall be trodden without the city and there shall be blood even to the horses bridles woe 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpets of the other angels which are yet to sound the fearful words pealed through the dim aisles of the forest like the curse of some destroying angel after a pause the speaker resumed in a lower and more plaintive tone weep ye not for the dead neither bewail her behold the lamb standeth on mount zion and with him a hundred and forty and four thousand having his father's name written on their foreheads these are they which follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth and in their mouth 
is found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Behold, the angel, having the seal of God, is gone forth, and she shall be sealed in her forehead unto the Lamb. The figure turned away slowly, singing as he made his way through the forest, in the same weird and funereal accents. But this time the song was a wild, plaintive sound, like the tolling of a heavy bell. Ding, dong, dead and gone, farewell, father, bury me in Egypt's land, by my dear mother. Ding, dong, ding, dong, dead and gone. Clayton, as he slowly wound his way along the unfrequented path, felt a dim, brooding sense of mystery and terror creeping over him. The tones of the voice and the wild style of the speaker recalled the strange incident of the camp meeting, and though he endeavored strenuously to reason with himself that probably some wild and excited fanatic made still more frantic by the presence of death and destruction all around, was the author of these fearful denunciations. Still, he could not help a certain weight of fearful foreboding. This life may be truly called a haunted house, built as it is on the very confines of the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A thousand living fibers connect us with the unknown and unseen state, and the strongest hearts, which never stand still for any mortal terror, have sometimes hushed their very beating at a breath of a whisper from within the veil. Perhaps the most resolute unbeliever in spiritual things has hours of which he would be ashamed to tell, when he, too, yields to the powers of those awful affinities which bind us to that unknown realm. It is not surprising that Clayton, in spite of himself, should have felt like one mysteriously warned. It was a relief to him when the dusky dimness of the solemn dawn was pierced by long shafts of light from the rising sun, and the day broke gladsome and jubilant, as if sorrow sighing and death were a dream of the night during the whole prevalence of this fearful curse it was strange to witness the unaltered regularity splendor and beauty with which the movement of the natural world went on amid fears and dying groans and wailings and sobs and broken hearts the sun rose and set in splendor the dews twinkled and twilight folded her purple veil heavy with stars. Birds sung, waters danced and warbled, flowers bloomed, and everything in nature was abundant and festive and joyous. When Clayton entered the boundaries of the plantation, he inquired eagerly of the first person he met for the health of its mistress. Thank God she is yet alive, said he. It was but a dream, after all. End of chapter 35 Recording by John Brandon